Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. The site manager over at Denver Stiffs. We're doing a whole bunch of season in review content over there right now. Uh, next up on Monday should be Michael Porter Jr. and DeMarcus Cousins. I think we've done a really good job of making sure that all of the Nuggets players are covered and being uh, just as at least giving everybody the proper time of day that I think the end of this season deserves. Before we really transition into what I think is going to be a very interesting offseason for a number of reasons, least of which, of course, is that Tim Connolly and Calvin Booth and Michael Malone basically said it, that those guys are, are putting pressure on themselves in a lot of ways to deliver for this Nuggets organization, for this Nuggets fan base. So keep keep their foot to the fire. Keep everything uh, that they say, I think, public. I think that's that's very important to be able to look back upon this, this upcoming offseason and say, yeah, they did everything that they possibly could to get the best possible team that they could. And so that's why I'm taking this part of my job seriously, is I'm making sure that everybody understands and, and can articulate what exactly happened this last season, how much of that is going to change, and how much of it needs to change via decision-making and, and roster stuff. Because in the end, that's all they can really control, and then it's playing with the roster that you have. So hopefully, everybody is in position to complete their responsibilities. And for this Nuggets group, I, I think... It's very interesting having gone back through uh, the guard rotation, the wing rotation. Now I am onto the forward rotation today, and I'm pleasantly surprised by where the forward rotation is and how they performed, given that Michael Porter Jr. was basically out for the entire season. You look back at it, you think Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji. I think all of those guys have a strong future if they would like, for the Nuggets next year. It's just about making sure that Michael Porter Jr. is back. And we will talk about that in the third segment mostly. But for now, I want to go over Aaron Gordon. I want to go over Jeff Green in the first segment. And then let's go over Zeke Naji and Flacco Chanchar in the second before talking about the future of the forward position in the third. Let's start with Aaron Gordon. Let's start with the biggest addition to Denver's roster uh, since basically Michael Porter Jr. was added back in 2018. Aaron Gordon was traded for Denver uh, by or traded to Denver in 2021 at the trade deadline the previous season, 2020-2021 season. The idea, of course, being that he was the finishing piece of the puzzle for what the Nuggets needed. I think now that we have some distance from that moment, I think it was not folly, but I think a little bit misguided to give up some of the perimeter defense that they needed to give up in order to acquire the wing defense. Now, could Denver have foreseen that really well? No, but I think one of the things that we've seen is that Aaron Gordon is a very, very good player, but he's not capable of producing at a star level. And Denver obviously needs multiple stars if they are going to win a title. Now, let's go through the same process that I went through in each of the previous times. What were his responsibilities? Aaron Gordon was initially going to be a role player, but he couldn't be a role player this year, given what Denver had to deal with. He was their starting small forward when Michael Porter got hurt. Uh, some people categorize Jeff Green as the small forward. I did initially, but it became pretty clear that Aaron Gordon's role, his responsibility, where he stood on the court, the creation level, all of those things really, they put him into a position where he was the small forward, not the power forward. And he was fine there. He was also tasked with being the point of attack defender in the starting unit. He was not fine there, and we'll get back to that. He was also one of the secondary scorers behind Nikola Jokic, and I won't say he was like the second scorer because I think you could split it up between him, Will Barton, 
At times, it was Monte Morris. At times, it was Bones Highland. But within the starting lineup, he was a piece of that puzzle as a scorer, not necessarily as just overall responsibility, but strictly scoring. Now, was that his ideal role? Clearly, the answer is no, right? Like, there's there's no way that anybody could really justify Aaron Gordon doing that on a consistent basis. He was pushed too high up the roster chain. And that's part of his career that I think has become very interesting for people in general, was that he was a fourth overall pick. He was always one of those guys that reminded people physically of Kawhi Leonard, of LeBron James, of some of these star forward scorers and the the playmakers that he wasn't ever really going to be. Now, he's kind of like them in the fact that he's like-sized and that he has some of that mentality, but he doesn't have the skill. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but he does have to sort of change and adapt. He should be a fourth or a fifth option offensively. He should not be tasked with being a floor spacer. He should not be tasked with being a playmaker for other people. The most that he will be doing is as a defender, and he's very versatile. He could be a wing defender, a forward defender, a backline defender, where you use his versatility in a switching scheme, but as a point of attack defender, that was misusing him. And it was unfortunate that Denver had to go to that as often as they had to, because Monte Morris, Will Barton, those guys weren't the answers as point of attack defenders either. So Gordon was the best of a bunch of not great options. And hopefully that changes this upcoming season. Did he succeed in the role that Denver outlined for him, which was starting small forward, point of attack defender, yada, yada? It's hard to say because I thought he did as well as could really be expected. Was he good? Yes. Was he good enough? No. Was it possible for him to be good enough? Probably not. Like that was just, it was unfair. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, but he wasn't brought in to become an elite floor spacer or shooter or a complimentary piece next to Nikola Jokic from a, a perimeter playmaking standpoint. But that's what they needed him to do. And he wasn't brought in to be a point of attack defender, somebody who guarded Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and uh, guys like that. It's like, no, that's, that wasn't ever his job and nor should it have been. What is a fair expectation for Aaron Gordon. Because you want him like as a $20 million per year player and, and potentially more than that going forward, you want him to be able to do those things. But asking him to do that and like him being actually able to do that are just different. Like that's that's probably just a flaw in his overall game. And it's where he has to get better, to be frank. He has weaknesses. Those were exploited this year at times. The Golden State Warriors really rattled him in a variety of ways. Now, did he recover that? Yeah, he was He was much better after his initial issues. But I still think that there's a little bit for him to go. There's, just, there's still a ways away. Now, what is his trajectory going forward? He's pretty stable. He is not in his like athletic peak anymore, I don't think. I think he's more stable and he'll have a lesser role next year if Michael Porter Jr. is healthy. And also, if Denver has an actual point of attack defender, then I think that'll save Aaron Gordon throughout the year because there were a lot of times where Denver needed Gordon to play because they didn't have good enough options. Will that be satisfied with just Porter coming back? No. Like Denver's going to have to add to their perimeter defense. But would Aaron Gordon be a little bit better if he was focused more on stopping, uh, for example, Harrison Barnes against the Sacramento Kings than he was against stopping De'Aaron Fox? Sure. Yeah, that would be that would be a better role for him in general. I also liked what he said about improving his basketball IQ and thinking the game 
better, uh, more clearly when Nikola Jokic was thinking it at such a high level. Gordon knows. It seems like he understands where his role has to be. But you you have guys that are self-aware all the time. And it's about getting to that point. It's about actually making and taking the steps for those things to happen. I think that he can, but I also think that there's a, a realistic chance that he doesn't. So I am a little bit concerned about the playoffs again next year, just from the position of, man, Michael Porter still unproven, Aaron Gordon in a lot of ways still unproven. And whether he improves, whether he makes it work, I don't know. But I do think that Denver is going to have to have other options at their disposal and not just at the forward position. They need to be able to go small. They need to be able to play other perimeter attackers. And Gordon should not play a bunch of minutes at the three next year. Even if Porter is back and and Gordon is playing the, the small forward and Porter is playing power forward, I do think that Denver should try to come up with some ways to stagger those two and not just play them all next to each other. Is he a fit for Denver's plans next year? Absolutely. Like I I don't want to overstate this too much because it'll sound pretty preachy. But I also think that next year will be the best year of Gordon's career. And it's because I kind of trust him when he says that he needs to improve his basketball IQ. And what we've seen from other players around Nikola Jokic is as they spend more time with him, the one-on-one time where he is like the one and only option that Denver has at various points to score and to playmake, that is going to be beneficial for Gordon. And he's going to be able to riff off of so much of what Murray and Porter already do. And Jokic should be able to take advantage of that for sure. So we will see. Let's move to Jeff Green. I don't want to spend too much time here. Um, What were his responsibilities this year? He was the starting power forward. Wasn't that at the beginning, but he became the starting power forward after the injury to MPJ. He was kind of a connector on offense and defense, more from a structural perspective. I've used this term before when discussing him, but he's more of an innings eater if you're talking about a pitcher. He's not your top guy. He's not even your second guy, but in order to get through a season, you need somebody who can help assist you, who can fill those minutes, who can fill that time, and isn't going to be an abject disaster. That is what I would describe Jeff Green to be. He was helpful in a variety of ways. He was a veteran leader in a variety of ways, but was this his ideal role as a starter? No, I don't think anybody would. Like if you're if you're trying to be a championship contender, Jeff Green should not be a starter. I think that's pretty clear. Jeff Green should also not be playing every single game. And that seems pretty wild that at 35 years old he was. 35 years old, Denver was asking him to do some crazy things, and they they never really rested him that much during the year. It was always, hey, we just need to get through. And part of it was understandable. Denver had started the year injured and definitely was behind the eight ball in a lot of different ways throughout the entire season and never gained that stretch where they could feel comfortable. So they could never really rest anybody. But I do think that he needs to be like, Jeff Green makes sense as a rotation guy, but uh, but he can't be the rotation guy. He can't be a penciled in or inked in part of what Denver's doing all the time. He has utility in a bunch of matchups, but not all of them. And that's fair. Like this is this is kind of how benches in the NBA should go, in my opinion. I think you have your top five guys, and then you have like another two that you trust on a consistent basis. And then beyond that, it's matchup specific. That's kind of how the best teams do it, I think. So did he succeed? Did Jeff Green succeed this regular season? In the regular season, yes. He helped Denver get through the year, just like I was saying. Did he average a whole bunch of rebounds? No. Did he average a whole bunch of assists or points? No, no, nothing like that. But 
Was he able to help Denver's cutting offense as a functional cutter and screener and somebody who knew where to be? Yes, absolutely. And Nikola Jokic took advantage of that. Was he able to do that much more? No. And he also really struggled in the playoffs. Like, let's just be honest. It's not his responsibility to save Denver, but he was the guy who was playing. And he could have been better than where he was, or maybe he couldn't have. Maybe this was just kind of the ceiling of what you're looking at. Now, do I think that he's going to be that bad of a a two-point shooter going forward? No. I think he was facing a really tough defense and, and really struggled against those switching small ball matchups. But he should also be better in those situations. It shouldn't have been so difficult to coax out good minutes and good production from Jeff Green. He's a guy that you want to step up as a veteran in a playoff series. He had an 8% usage rate. The average in the NBA is 18, more than double. And that just seems really bad. That seems like a not good thing that Jeff Green is in this situation where they don't necessarily need him to take all the way of a step back, but they need him to be functional. And, And there were so many times during the playoffs where Draymond Green would be defending on the weak side or Klay Thompson would be defending on the weak side and you have Aaron Gordon over there and Jeff Green over there. And you had just one defender defending two guys because there wasn't any need to go close out to the corner. So it's tough. It was definitely tough. But Denver can be better than that next year. They can be a little bit more selective if they have better personnel. Now, what's his trajectory? It's likely down since he's 35 years old, but he's also in such great shape that maybe just reducing his minutes and he, he he still could just be helpful. He doesn't have to be a massively impactful piece, but he can be helpful. And it just comes from maybe you're the 11th guy in a rotation. And rather than playing every single night, you're playing in specific matchups. And it's just 15 minutes, 10 minutes here or there. But if you're making a positive impact, then who cares? Now, do I think that's the best way to use that money? The best way to use that role? Probably not, but it's also not that bad when Jeff Green is such a good veteran and example setter and somebody that you would like on your championship caliber team because he's been around. He's done everything. Is he a fit for Denver's plans next year? Maybe. I do think that he is the guy that Denver gets back Michael Porter. Uh, They have Aaron Gordon. Zeke Naji gets into his third season that Jeff Green feels like the guy that will take the biggest step back in terms of his actual rotation minutes. Because Denver's invested in Zeke Naji. They they want him to step up and be that player, and they will likely play him over Jeff. I, I feel very strongly about that. Jeff doesn't have to play to be impactful, though. Like I said, he can be that helpful reserve whenever, just helpful insurance. And given that he's a championship caliber guy, That when he steps up, when he speaks in the locker room, when he tells people what what needs to be said, you know that he has his heart in the right place and will continue to do so because he's looking for that ring too. He wants to be that guy and hopefully Denver can give him that opportunity. We'll see. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Zeke Naji and Vlako Chanchar. We'll be right back. We're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you could rate and review the podcast, it would be awesome. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, That would be fantastic. Uh, as I mentioned in last week's episode, or last week's uh, Friday episode, going to be going to three podcasts a week. I think it's the right amount. Uh, I will be ramping up at various points, but for now, going to get through these season in reviews and potentially talk to Broncos Squatch on Friday. Also probably going to do a Twitter Spaces at some point, so if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in hopping in and we can we can talk Nuggets offseason, then hit me up and we'll uh, 
We'll probably do something like that on Wednesday evening. All right, let's get into these season interviews once again. Zeke Naji, Vlako Chanchar for this segment. And I wanted to spend some significant time on Zeke because I am very curious to see what the Nuggets believe they have in Zeke Naji. He is a very interesting player in the fact that he isn't that interesting, in the fact that he has a very defined skill set that seems like it would be pretty easy to plug and play. And to some extent, that's true. To some extent, that, that makes sense. He's He was, this year, his responsibilities, in and out of the backup power forward spot, uh, was a good outside shooter, a good switch defender. Then he got hurt, and Denver never really got to see much of him again. Was that his ideal role? Probably at the time. I think there were still some things that he needed to learn. Do I think that he should have played over Jermichael Green in the playoffs? Yes, I do. There is some need for toughness. Don't get me wrong. There's also need to hit open shots. And Denver wasn't winning their non-Jokic minutes to the degree that they probably could had they hit those open shots with them sitting on the bench. Did Zeke Naji succeed this season? That's a hard question. Uh, Let's just look at the numbers here real quick. Pretty sure he played 41 games. I'm sorry, I'm on Vlacko's page right now. Uh, Yeah, 41 games out of 82. Last year, he played 42 out of 72. But this year, he played 17 minutes per game versus 9.5 in the previous season. Last year, he was really a garbage time a very spot rotation guy, didn't necessarily have a lot of opportunities. This year, he was pretty consistently in the rotation if he played. And the majority of his games were injury absences this year. At the beginning of the season, they weren't. At the beginning of the season, they were mostly DNPs. But I do think that that distinction is important. I think the Nuggets... They became it became pretty clear uh, during the year that Zeke Naji was a better power forward option, a better floor spacing four option than Jamichael Green. And then Zeke got hurt, and he was out for a little bit. When he came back, he got hurt again. It was a a freak accident. Somebody kind of rolled up into his knee. He he moved pretty awkwardly out there re-hurt the bilateral knee soreness, and he was sidelined after that until game 82 of the season where he played 25-26 minutes, probably a little bit more than he should have, to be frank. And then all he played in the, the playoffs was garbage time because he had been out of the rotation at that point and changing something back, probably not the best idea, despite the fact that personally, I think that he should have played over Jermichael. Now, it's easy to say that from this perspective, uh, from from this end of things, because things, some of it worked out with Jamichael Green, but I think Denver realizes that Zeke has a higher ceiling and that he's a guy that they are going to need to play and they're going to need to trust going forward. Because as the NBA continues to get smaller and quicker, you need better athletes and more mobile players on the court. And I do think that Zeke kind of represents that for Denver's future prospects. Now, what is his actual trajectory? This is a very interesting question because I just think it's hard to say. I'm not really sure who he is. And he's still just 21 years old. That's insane. He doesn't turn 22 until January. And Denver drafted him partially because he he seemed pretty ready but they, they also drafted him to kind of fill that backup five role. I think that's what they thought they were getting, somebody that could develop into a backup five position going forward. In reality, though, he's been more of a stretch four, and he, he's been a switch defender. He's somebody that defended LeBron in his rookie year. He would switch out onto, I remember the New York Knicks games this this year where, where Denver hosted the Knicks and and he switched on to Julius Randle, did reasonably well, but mostly he played R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin incredibly well. And those guys, athletic. They're a little bit smaller, 6'7"-ish, and 
that doesn't necessarily like scream centers because when whenever Denver used Zeke as a center specifically, it, it didn't really go well this year. Now, was that because it was mostly Faku who was out there with them? Maybe. Was it because Bones wasn't ready to really run that that pick and roll consistently with him? Or actually, honestly, he kind of was, but wasn't ready to defend the pick and roll at that time? Maybe. But I do think that there is still potential to Denver going with Bones at the one and Zeke at the five. There is something to that. Is it going to be bad defensively? Probably. But I am just very curious because so far in the NBA, the stretch four has mostly died. Like, who is a stretch four in the NBA today? The first player that I really see is Jay Crowder, kind of. But I do think that he's a a smarter, more playmaking style than Zeke Naji. In 17 minutes per game this year, Naji averaged 0.4 assists. He doesn't take much other than spot-up threes and shots at the rim. Uh, just looking at the, the shooting here, 43% of his shots came from three-point range. 35% of his shots came from zero to three feet. And then 15% came from three to 10 feet, which is basically, okay, they classified it as further than zero to three because he wasn't taking eight-footers. He was taking four-footers. So he was a very much a a threes and at the rim kind of guy for most of his year. And there is value to that, of course. Daryl Morey would be very proud. But what is the actual player comp there? What is, like, who who is he? Because most of the small forwards that can handle the ball are now just smaller power forwards in crunch time. When you think of traditional backup power forwards, a guy like George's Niang, kind of stands out. And he has played a lot of, like, not a lot, but some five in these playoffs because DeAndre Jordan just can't do it anymore. And and they just need other options when Joel Embiid isn't on the floor in Philly. So who is Zeke Naji? Is he more of a wing? Is he more like a, a forward wing type or is he more of a forward big? Is he somebody who can play the five a little bit? Because my belief is that that is who he is. My belief is that he's a switch and stretch five. Think of a guy like Maxi Kleba, somebody for the Dallas Mavericks who has become indispensable this year as a defender. He's very smart. He's very athletic. He's very versatile. He can move his feet and match whoever he's guarding on the perimeter about as well as any big in the NBA. And that is saying something. Maxi Kleba is like 6'9", 230, 240, kind of like Zeke. He's built that same way, and he has a very similar offensive skill set. Zeke Naji this year, like I, I mentioned before, 3% assist rate this season. Maxi Kleba, a little bit more involved, I would guess, on the offensive end, but he averaged 1.2 assists per game in 24.6 minutes for a 6.5% assist rate. He was so valuable and continues to be so valuable for the Mavericks that I wonder if that is the future for Denver. Is he a guy, is Zeke a guy, who can be a stretch five? Somebody who, when Jokic comes off the floor, can be a switch switch defender, can guard guards, can guard wings and forwards, can do his best to keep everything in front of him, and can he rebound well enough? in order to make that happen. Because Maxi Kleba can. Zeke Naji right now can't. That is still his biggest weakness, in my opinion, is kind of his interior toughness. He has to be better in that regard. But I think that can be Denver's final form. It will involve a traditional center, a traditional backup center in the regular season. But in the playoffs, when you're going up against a team like Golden State, or Phoenix, or Dallas, or even Utah, Denver needs to have answers. And I think that Zeke could be one of those guys. So is he a fit for Denver's plans next year? 
yes, the backup forward minutes are available. If Porter comes back and Gordon comes back, those guys are each probably playing 30 plus minutes a game. But that leaves 18 at small forward, 18 at power forward, and then maybe some extra minutes at center here or there, depending on what Denver does. But Porter should be on an injury management program next year. I guess that he would probably play about 60 to 65 games if he was fully healthy throughout. That's because you don't plan on back-to-backs. You limit his overall minutes. It's a load, a load management strategy in order to get him to the playoffs, in, in order to put him into a position where the rest of his career isn't compromised. Gordon could probably also use some rest too. And there will be times where you start Gordon and Najee together, but also where you start Porter and Najee together, in my mind. Now, Jeff Green, if he opts in, if if Jamichael Green opts in, then there will be some crowding there, but I don't think that's going to be an issue. I do think that Najee will be in the plans, and I think that if Denver stays cheap at backup center, if they make sure not to invest too much there, then Najee can eventually play some five as he continues to grow and progress, but Denver needs to trust him. And they need him to get better too. Like I said, get stronger, get tougher, get less handsy on defense and more physical. I like Zeke. I think he's a piece that Denver can definitely use and could be a part of that like initial seven-man rotation. Like you get the starters, Murray, player exit, the two-guard, Porter, Gordon, Jokic, and then have like Bones and Najee as your two main pillars off the bench. Or maybe it's Monte. Like that, you have three. Call it it three. But those are the eight guys that you would want to play most of your minutes. And you could do that if he takes a step forward. But I also could see them moving him because Jeff Green is pretty reasonable as a backup for. Like that's not that bad. You could definitely see yourself doing a lot of the same things with him. Is the ceiling lower? Yes. Could he still be good? Yes. So we'll see how he handles it. Let's move to uh, Vlako Chanchar. I was going to say Blacko, but it, it is Vlako Chanchar, uh, our favorite Slovenian cyborg, one of the nicest people in the Nuggets organization. He, I, my first interaction with a Nuggets player at a an event outside of a Nuggets game was with Vlako. He was very nice. He was very kind. Uh, it was, I don't know if it was his first time in Denver, but he was just very, very reasonable. Now, what were his responsibilities? He was in a bench role, uh, very much a, a bench cheerleader for most of the time. He was a joker support guy, somebody who Nikola Jokic would, I think, rely upon for much of this season just to kind of keep him sane. And he also provided the occasional lift. Uh, earlier in the year before he got hurt. Now, is that his ideal role? Absolutely. I don't know if there's any, like, I don't know if there's any upward trajectory there for Vlaco. Like, potentially he has some role that he fits kind of as a stretch four, a stretch five, somebody kind of like Zeke, who maybe he's just like a, a different version of Zeke Naji, but he can play in a pinch and has definitely had some good moments for the Nuggets during his time. Now, has he been perfect? No. And there have definitely been some flaws that he needs covering up. Like he's not the most athletic guy. He doesn't seem like the best shooter in general, or at least the most confident shooter. So maybe that changes this upcoming year, but we didn't really get to see a lot of it. Now, did he succeed this year? Somewhat. Uh, He got hurt and missed a full three months With that foot surgery, he wasn't able to really play much uh, other than when some guys went out, some guys missed some time, or there was just garbage time at that point. But in the minutes that he did play, he was was pretty good. There, There wasn't anything wrong with what he did during his time, but he also just wasn't super impactful. He wasn't really, like, he was reasonably helpful, but not, like, impactful in that he kind of filled the time reasonably well. Did some rebounding, had some surprise playmaking, I thought, 
Not the best shooter, although he shot like 58% from three this year, just on extremely low volume. He seems like a guy who that was a more small sample size kind of thing. And I wouldn't necessarily expect that to keep up, which goes to his trajectory and what to expect from him going forward, which to be honest, I I think is unclear and I would default towards probably lower. Uh, He's already 25 years old comparison to Zeke Naji, who is 21 and won't turn 22 for a while. Vlaco is now 25. He's played a significant amount, both abroad in the for the Slovenian national team. Uh, he played some pro ball, obviously, before coming over. And then he, he's had time ever since coming over, I think, three years ago. And during that time, hasn't really been hasn't really been great. Uh, he's been occasionally good, but most of the time it's been. Uh, not a great sign or a very great sign that he's been on the court and that it's just been mostly garbage time. And we haven't gotten to see him in a realistic, traditional role. Part of that is because Denver was often been a team of point guards and power forwards, and he's a power forward. Like He's just a guy that you would want to fill that role. But Denver already has guys like that. Like If they had wings and then he was playing the backup power forward, then maybe he would look better. Maybe he would look more consistent. But that just hasn't been what's got what's happened. Um, I do not think that he is a likely guy to get better. I think that there is a possibility that it's just a wherever Nikola goes situation, uh, where that's where Vlaco will mostly be at the NBA level. But there is also a possibility that he decides to try to make some bank by going back to Europe and playing some ball there, playing some team ball. He would probably be a starter. I think there's no realistic reason why he wouldn't be. And there's definitely more earning potential over there, I think, than what Denver has going on. So he has some athletic limitations at this level. It's unclear if he's a good shooter or not. I think he's probably not a fit for Denver next year. But it sort of depends on how Nicola feels and how the roster spots play out. Because Denver can carry... Vlaco Chanchar is like the 15th guy in their roster, 14th or 15th guy. There's no reason to really be uh, too uh, stingy on roster spots, but they just can't waste a whole bunch of them. They just can't be in a situation where a bunch of guys aren't playing. Part of that was because Denver had two guys in, in Murray and Porter last year that were permanently out, and then Zeke and Vlaco go down. And then you have 11 guys heading into a playoff rotation, and one of those guys was Faku Kambazo. The other guy was Bryn Forbes. So it's not like it was just a, a, a greatly used roster, because at the beginning of the year, Bull Bull was on it. So I don't know. Denver has to be very conscientious of who they give their roster spots to, and he's not really in line to play minutes unless several guys ahead of him on the depth chart go down. But he does hold a very special role for Denver in that Nikola Jokic is somebody he is closely connected to. If Nikola Jokic wants him on the team, he will probably be on the team. Thanasis Antetokounmpo has been with the Bucks for a while. His brother, Alex Antetokounmpo, has been with the LA Lakers. It is definitely the reason why is because Giannis. That's that's just the reason why those guys are in the NBA right now and not in Europe. And that's okay. Because when you have impactful players like Jokic and Giannis, that's who they are going to want to have. And Luka will probably have somebody tied to him for the rest of his career as well. So we'll just have to see who that is. But I just don't expect big things from Vlatko. I would guess that he's a guy who probably goes back to Europe. That would be my guess. But we will just have to see how that happens. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about where Denver's forward spots need to be improved. We'll be right back.
pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, like I talked about with the guard spots, uh, the guard rotation specifically, Jamal Murray obviously changes a lot of what the 2021-22 roster looked like, what the guard rotation this past year looked like. It will not look the same next year because Jamal Murray is going to be there. And, and were there certain things that the guard rotation is still going to need to fix? Yeah. The same is still true with the forward rotation with Michael Porter Jr. He doesn't solve every problem, but he definitely solves a lot of them. And I think that the three biggest issues with Denver's forward rotation this year, just kind of where they need to be better in general, are rebounding, outside shooting, and creativity. Those are where I, I sort of see the biggest gaps. Aaron Gordon is a pretty decent rebounder. He's not great. He's not fantastic, but he's good. And playing next to Nikola Jokic, it's not like you're going to be getting a whole bunch of rebounds. You just need to be boxing out, doing a pretty good job, and, and hustling up some of the extra stuff. And Aaron Gordon does that. Now, Zeke Naji, rebounding is still a weakness of his. He improved as an offensive rebounder this past year, but as a defensive rebounder, he wasn't great. And he's too much more of a box-out guy as opposed to a go-get-the-ball guy. And some of that is good fundamentals, and, and you would like to have a whole bunch of box-out guys on your team so that only one guy has to be the go-getter. But Naji, if he's going to be a bigger role guy next year, he's got to be going after some boards and making sure to clear the rebound and being aggressive out there. That is probably the biggest advantage. And then Jeff Green. Like, Jeff Green's not a rebounder. That's pretty pretty simple there. Um, outside shooting, Najee's a very good shooter. He's not the most uh, versatile shooter in that he's mostly just a standstill guy. He can move a little bit. He can do some stuff in transition. But he's not going to be a guy that like runs off of screens or gets some some V cuts back out to the corner. He's not a quick trigger guy. But I do think that he's a guy that when his shot is contested, he still makes it reasonably well. And having that confidence is important. Now, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, not outside shooters. Not by any stretch of the word this year. Jeff Green shot 41% from three in Brooklyn for whatever reason. 32% this past year. It's not a not ideal. And then that that didn't really improve in the playoffs, at least not to the to the volume that Denver needed it to. And then creativity is one of the other things. And, and what I mean by that, Aaron Gordon is a very rigid player in a lot of different ways. Sometimes he is creative with the basketball, but often it's not good enough. Often it's not what you would need. Jeff Green, he's out there to eat innings. He's not out there to do a whole bunch of extra stuff. Zeke Naji, same thing. There's not a lot of variance with those guys. You need a variance kind of player. And Michael Porter Jr., obviously very variable. He's going to find some ways to get some creative baskets. It's not just the outside shooting. It's not just the cutting and the offensive rebounding. He'll find his way to different unique spots on the court and get off shots and make sure that he impacts the game in a variety of different ways. But that could really help on both the offensive and defensive end. I will also say the one that I didn't include on my initial list that Denver needs to be better, weak side shot blocking. And Porter gives some of that too. Let's look at, a, let's look at Denver's profile as a team for their their block rates for among the the forward type players um Aaron Gordon was at 1.7% which was below Nikola Jokic this year Jeff Green 1.3% Zeke Naji 1.7 Jamichael Green was at 2.2 he was a little bit better DeMarcus Cousins at 2.7 he led the team in block rate which is insane um Michael Porter this year obviously didn't do a whole heck of a lot in his time because it was a nine-game sample size and he was pretty hurt. Um, actually, let's go to 
Denver in 2021, because I am very curious to see what Porter's block rate looks like. On the season, he was at 0.9 blocks per game, um, and that translated to a 2.8% block rate. He would have led the forward position. And that's something that he was 22 years old then and will be in his age 24 season when he comes back. Is he going to be fully healthy? Is he going to be willing to sell out? Probably not. But he is 6'10 with pretty long arms and, and a good frame and a pretty good anticipation as a weak side blocker. He can probably help in that regard. So a lot of the things that I just named, rebounding, outside shooting, creativity, shot blocking, those all scream Michael Porter Jr. to me. And to the point that I do think that he can be extremely helpful in a variety of ways for, for obvious reasons. He's not, it's not just because of the talent, it's just the, the actual fit of what Denver needs. Now, is he going to solve their defensive problems kind of as a, as a perimeter defender? No, no, absolutely not. And I think that there's, there's a lot of questions that I have on where his head is at in terms of how Denver improves and gets better on both ends of the floor. But he can answer a lot of those questions going forward. What I will say, though, is that from a structural fit standpoint, Denver's forward rotation was missing a Michael Porter Jr. That's, that seems pretty clear. Now, can Denver's current group, excluding MPJ, actually, no, we'll include him. MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji, Vlako Chanchar. Can they improve as a group on all of those things? With MPJ, yes. Aaron Gordon, I think that he can get better as a more creative player, as a higher IQ player. Outside shooting, I'm not really sure. We're just going to have to play that one by ear. Jeff Green, he is what he is. Zeke Naji, he's going to improve in all likelihood because he's going to be 22 years old as opposed to 21. But we will see like how much and to what degree he actually improves. It's not a guarantee that he's like some massive improvement. He still has to get better. Vlaco, probably not. But I do think that if the rotation next year, if Jeff Green exercises his player option, if Denver has four options next year, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Zeke Naji, Jeff Green, if you enter the season with that group, then I feel pretty good about it. I do think that Denver in that spot would have a tangible answer for almost every problem. You need some more defense, go with Aaron Gordon and Zeke Naji. You need some more offense, go with Michael Porter Jr. You need a veteran, go get Jeff Green. You need some variants, MPJ and Aaron Gordon. Like There's a lot of potential for that group to be variable and good. And there will also be some lineups where you only need one of those guys out there anyway, because I do think that Denver's going to try to add a bigger wing that can play the three a little bit more. So maybe you get like Murray, Bones, some bigger perimeter three, like a, I don't know, let's just say a Justin Holiday type, somebody like that. Then you add Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic to that group. You're, you're feeling pretty good. You're cooking with gas in terms of what you need. You can be a little bit smaller, but also not give up that much size. So Denver has a versatile group. What they don't really have is a great answer for if Michael Porter misses a whole bunch of time. Can they be good enough to be championship caliber if Michael Porter Jr. is sidelined again? That is a very important thing for this team, that they need a contingency plan. They need somebody to step up to be able to shoulder some of those responsibilities and to handle the pressure. Aaron Gordon, he he will do some of it, but not the important floor spacing, scoring parts, uh, not, not the defensive backline stuff. Like Gordon's a good backline defender, but he also needs to be a wing defender. Like they're, they're going to need his versatility. So I do think that if Zeke Naji can step forward with his aggression, with his confidence, 
then he could be a part of that solution. Will he be all of that solution? Will he be somebody that definitely does that? I don't know. I think the default answer is probably no. But the fact that it's a possibility, I don't think that Denver's going to spend a bunch of time trying to ad- address the forward spots. They'll try to get a wing or two. They'll try to clear up the perimeter defensive guard. They will figure out backup center. In terms of the forward spots, I think those guys are pretty good. And folks, that's about all I have for the forward spots, for the forward options that Denver had this year and going forward. Thank you so much for tuning in. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. We are part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, doing some great things with the team over there. Uh, Again, make sure to check out the Denver Stiffs content. We have player reviews. We have a mock draft or big board that is going up during this week. I am really, really looking forward to the content, and we are never going to stop. Like It's it's always going to be consistently flowing. That is the great thing about Denver Stiffs. We're always here for you. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. As always, we'll talk to you guys very soon.